Hello and welcome to the Root Simple Podcast, where the audio companion to the Root Simple blog, where we cover gardening, home economics, and DIY living. This show is hosted by myself, Eric Knudsen, and Kelly Coyne. Hello. We are the authors of The Urban Homestead and Making It, Radical Home Act for a Post-Consumer World. Hello, Kelly. Hello, Eric, across the table from me. On a very hot day. It is very hot. It's evening and it is still hot. We have the uh, window open, so we may be hearing the street sounds of Los Angeles. Uh, we have two topics this week. Eric Rochow of Garden Fork TV and our guest on episode 47 called with a comment about toilets. And we're going to talk about poultry biosecurity. So in short, our topics are toilets and poultry. Which is why we don't have any funding. Yeah, that's why we don't have the big sponsors. <laughs> but we love toilets. And, and we, we love, love poultry. poultry. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it, I was thinking maybe we could have some low-end sponsors like, you know, accident lawyers or... Uh, <laughs> I don't think they want anything to do with us either. My My dream is to have the sort of Hollywood suit outlet, you know, those like a cheap suit outlet sponsor us. <laughs> suits, anyways, suits, suits. Suits, yes. <laughs> Our money. Anyways. I think we'd be lucky if we get some like low-end scratch, chicken scratch uh, manufacturer to sponsor yeah, us. Yeah, maybe we can get a poultry sponsor. Scratch RS. But we're jumping ahead here. Why don't I uh, play the... The nice phone call Eric left for us. Eric, again, was a guest on the show. What was the context of the... The context is we had a podcast, I think it was episode 49, where we talked about our new toilet. Our new the, toilet. Uh, what's it called again? The Eco Promenade. The eco- <laughs> <laughs> By uh, the Toto. But it, that led to like what, long digressions about humanure and composting toilets, correct? And that's it what did. he's uh, referring also, to. I was a little surprised by everyone's enthusiasm about Toto toilets, which I didn't, <laughs> didn't expect. Or yeah, I wish Toto I would have sponsor expect- us. Yeah, I know. It was, it was from some quarters I, d- I wouldn't have expected. But Yeah, everyone's like, oh, yeah, of course. Yes, of course. Right. Well, let's let's hear what Eric has to say. Eric, East Coast Eric, as he calls himself. Yeah. Now this is Eric from Garden Fork, Eric uh, from who Garden is Fork TV. Eric's uh, this my Eric's East Coast doppelganger. Yes. Here. So here's Eric. Hey guys, it's East Coast Eric. <laughs> I was listening to your podcast about toilets, and my first thought was only Kelly and Eric could talk about toilets, but um, it's actually I'm kind of fascinated by them, and I had a couple of uh, thoughts for you guys. First of all, composting toilets are getting a lot of mileage in the tiny house movement. I think the biggest issue with actually building in general is if it involves a toilet, it's, you have to have some plumbing attached to it as far as a waistline, that kind of thing. And in a tiny house, you're on wheels, so that's not always possible. There is a podcast that I've listened to called Tiny House Chat. Uh, I can send you guys the link. And they talk about, they have a whole episode talking about toilets and how they use them in their tiny houses. Um, um, you know, the simplest ones with like basically a five-gallon bucket and some sawdust on up. So I thought that was very interesting. I had listened to that a while ago. The other thing to think about is you were talking about your new toilet, and it sounds like the super-duper one, is you you do get what you pay for when you buy these new super-efficient toilets. Um, If you cheap out and buy kind of a contractor-grade toilet, 
it may be uh, have a very super efficient rating, like it does 1.3 gallons or something like that. You do get what you pay for, and I think they're more prone to clogging than some of the um, higher priced ones. So there you go, just my little thoughts, Eric's thoughts on toilets. <laughs> All right, see ya. Wow, thank you, Eric, for that yeah, comment. Thank I really you, appreciate that. Yeah, well, I, you know, he's right. We, the last toilet we had wasn't, it wasn't cheap, I don't think, but it, you it know, wasn't like a Home Depot special. It wasn't a Home Depot special. It, but it was but sort of a, it was, we bought it on its looks more than anything else. Cause <laughs> and its looks more than its performance. Yeah, well, I, we didn't really know anything about its performance, but it had the right looks because we, our poor bathroom, we have one bathroom and it was, it was been gone through some degrading times in the 70s and we were trying to um, take it back to a 1920s splendor, which meant replacing all of the plumbing, which had all been you know, all the, the good old stuff was gone and just awful plastic things were in its place. And the toilet was um, one of those. Uh, so it looks like it looked like an old toilet, but um, it did not flush very well. And we had blamed the sewage line for that all that time, that it wasn't really the toilet's fault. It was it was in the line, but it was not. We haven't had one clog since we've got the better toilet. So if any of you people are suffering with clogs and dragging the snake out every once in a while... Something to think about. Something to think about. Or, as Eric points out, there's the composting toilet yes. option. I'll, I'll try to find that tiny house chat show and put it as a link in the show notes, because that does sound, sound really interesting. Because that is the issue with home building, tiny house building, or large house building. Uh, you the, the plumbing, both the kitchen and the bathroom, is the major expense of it. And the walls, is you know, they're pretty, they're pretty cheap, actually. So that's... You know, again, I, th- I think Eric's right. You get what you pay for. Mm-hmm. So the toilet. Now, I should have, on one of our original posts on that toilet, I should have um, put a link to Toto's industrial testing video, which I found <laughs> online, where they, you know, flush whole apples down <laughs> the toilet to show how, they, how it performs. But anyways... <laughs> That's like uh, the, the our friend who told us about the the guy who does the hummus tests. I think he's a he's a toilet right. reviewer. That's the, <laughs> and he just no. dumps a tub of hummus <laughs> in the toilets to see how well the flush performs. Shall I say? Um, I don't know who he is, but I think he's quite an internet celebrity. So other people probably know who the hummus guy is. Yeah, another. You know, instead of watching the Netflix. You can watch the Toto testing video, and that one sounds like a real winning evening. <laughs> Anyways, any final thoughts on Eric's comment? Uh, no, I just wanted to thank Eric again. and uh, Yeah, people should check out. He has a podcast, too, and many very entertaining videos. <laughs> very <so>. entertaining. <laughs> and dogs, many dogs. Yes, we like dogs. <laughs> Even though we have cats here, but we like dogs. Anyways, <laughs> you should check out Garden Fork, or GardenFork.tv. Well, poultry, Kelly, I, I, uh, mm. moving on to the next topic. Eric I, was so excited last week because he got to go to poultry school. Yeah, I, I have to thank Craig Ruglis of Winnetka Farms for tipping me off to this. He heard about it. It was a two-day conference at Pierce College here in, in L.A., uh, sponsored by a number of people, the California Department of Food and Agriculture, the... 
uh, UC Davis and University of California Cooperative Extension put it on. Science, science, science. It was, it was, uh, I was blinded by poultry science for two days. <laughs> and this was specifically for smallholders, right? Yeah, they, they want to get the message out about a number of poultry diseases that are coming down the pike right now. One of them is avian, avian influenza. They're concerned about it. It's carried by migratory birds. Are they more concerned about it now than usual? I mean, they're they, always concerned they about didn't it. They didn't really get into that. I think, oh. I think so. I think I, I need to do a little more research on that myself, but I think there's a growing concern about it. Hmm. Um, and it was, a, it was a great privilege to be at this thing. It was two days of mostly UC Davis uh, poultry veterinarians talking about poultry diseases and problems, and it actually culminated with a, uh, a necropsy session led by one of the veterinarians, which was a huge privilege to, to be able to do that and uh, see the inside of a chicken. I actually got to hang over the shoulder of Roberta Cato, who's, who's a doctor. So I just let her do the section because I figured she knows better than I do how to do that. And uh, that, w- that was also really interesting. You got to feel a gizzard. You got to feel a gizzard, see what the inside of a gizzard is like, see how everything is connected together. I, I have to say that here in California, we have a very unique resource, which is... UC will do a free necropsy for anyone who has a thousand chickens or less, which could be, you know, up to a $5,000 value, actually, because they'll do extensive testing on the poultry to see what's what the problem is. So if you're having a poultry problem, you can basically take the uh, carcass there. You have to keep it refrigerated, so don't freeze it and uh, double wrap in plastic and get it there. If you have a sick live bird, they'll actually euthanize it for you and then do the necropsy to figure out what's wrong with it. That is rare. That's very rare that that states will offer that for free. And our state probably does that because we have so many chicken... Uh, yeah, because agriculture so a big chicken industry is a big here. deal here. Yeah. And so we can't have... Uh, Disease is getting out of control in the um, small home flocks and spreading to the the big guys. That's you know that's a that whole the other theory? conversation. Yeah, that's a that's, that's a the, theory. That's a th- right? why they are so nice to us and give us this free stuff. Because I know in other states they don't like if yes and no. I mean, I mean Terry Golston on HenCam talks about the difficulty in doing that. HenCam is another great resource for you right. poultry people out there. Exactly, we've had her on the podcast. Yeah, too. and she she does her own uh, necropsies. What is the difference between a, ne- a necropsy and an autopsy? <laughs> That's a good question. I don't know the answer to that. I mean, necro is death, dead death. Like necropolis is like a graveyard is a necropolis. So it's like maybe it's for finding out the specific cause. Co- oh, no, an autopsy well, is Well, for- I'll tell you that the thing hmm. about it is I think if you, you know, living in California, I don't feel the need to learn this skill because I can get it. Someone, a professional, do it for free, uh, which, again, is is... Is something very special. And I you should say that even though, I mean, we keep, there's a larger conversation about whether keeping 30,000 hens in a giant shed as the commercial guys do is a good idea. I personally don't think that's a good idea. Yeah. Right? I think most of our listeners probably don't. I think that's, you know, it's, it's asking for trouble, personally. But 
that said, you know, something to, to know about this free resource is that it's confidential if you take the hands in there with two exceptions, which is Newcastle disease and avian influenza. If they find those things in your birds, you'll get a knock on the door from the California Department of Food and Agriculture. But everything else, they, it's confidential, so you don't need to worry about that. I know some people might be concerned about that. Uh, can I break in and say yeah. that while you were talking, I Googled, which is one of those sad moments in, in life where we don't listen to someone because we're Googling something. But, like, but, kind of like, like George Norrie. <laughs> yeah. took a swipe, but that's what he does. Um, but uh, just because I know the readers want to know, or listeners want to know, and um, you know, we don't want to send them to Google something because they might get pulled into a deep internet hole when they should be doing something more productive. So um, the difference between necropsy and autopsy is the necropsy is for the animals and autopsy is oh, for the people. Okay, so that's the answer, that, that answer to that question. Yes. I would say if you uh, don't have that free resource, you're somewhere else in the world listening to this podcast, uh, one of two options you might want to think about, which is finding an avian vet. And that can be a little expensive, uh, they did mention, the UC Davis guys mentioned, they're actually trying to train more small animal vets in California to to deal with chickens because more people have chickens. And working with a vet could be really handy. Actually, I know someone who just did that. They, they found an avian vet. It was a little expensive. They said it was totally worth it. You know, because, again, if you have one sick chicken, you can then end up with the whole flock suddenly dropping dead. So it's something you're thinking about. You might take the sick chicken to the vet and, and work with that person to figure out what the problem is. And then you can fix the problem so it doesn't happen again or doesn't happen to the because whole even, flock. Because even if you lose your whole flock and you don't know why and you bring in new chickens, they can pick up that disease. Right. Perhaps from because the environment of, and the right, soil, exactly. depending on what kind of disease it was. Right. So. To a certain extent, you do need to, you know, whereas, you know, it doesn't necessarily make financial sense to rush every hen to the vet right. for any any reason whatsoever. But when you're dealing with, like, the basically the biosecurity of your home flock, then sometimes that money is well spent. But you can do a lot on your own, you again, as Terry Golson yes. says. And she's got some really good long posts on... Uh, how she's learned how to do her own necropsies at home and, and the conclusions she's come um, to from doing those. So um, uh, if, you, if you're bold and brave and you want to take apart those chickens and look at old diagrams and, and YouTube videos and try to figure out what you're looking at like she does, then, you know, you can learn a lot. I will say, though, as a, as a layperson and a person who has a music degree and not a biology degree, it was somewhat uh, intimidating. Daunting. Yeah, daunting <laughs> is the word because a lot of poultry diseases look exactly the same, especially mm-hmm. with the symptoms of a live bird. So it's very yeah, hard to the br- tell. Yeah, sick chickens aren't real emotive. And, you know, they just droop and mostly. And then you might need to do some lab work and stuff like that to figure out exactly what, I mean, there are some mm-hmm. things that are obvious, no, but, true. but uh, a lot of things that aren't necessarily obvious. So a lot of those diseases look the same. Some of them, however, like the parasites and things like that, uh, parasites uh, like mites and then internal intestinal worms and things like that, that those things are easier to see for a, uh, a layperson like myself. 
and actually, you know, they'll they'll test um, uh, fecal samples too. Actually, uh, uh, any vet would do that probably too. So if you want to deworm chickens, that's uh, that's an option. So those parasites were easy to pick out. A lot of the other diseases, <laughs> so, to so to speak, a lot of the other diseases were a little hard to figure out as a layperson looking at you know we we were sitting through hours and hours of slides of various chick poultry diseases <laughs> and then looking at uh, the inside of a bunch of um, actually sort of caged hens that had been brought from a you know they had been put down and then brought to the lab and they weren't the healthiest looking chickens well, but those caged hens never are yeah they're all scraggy and Right, they, is that what they look like? I've seen yeah, pictures were of them. Yeah, there feathers they, missing. There's feathers and missing and things like that. For but. being in cages, it's kind of surprising that they look so beat up. Um, yeah, but that's another. That's a, well, that's a reason to keep your own hands. Definitely. Right? So it's beyond the scope of this podcast to get into all the all the ins and outs of poultry diseases and necropsies. <laughs> but I think uh, if you had, I, it's a decision you have to make. Uh, when you have chickens is, you know, finding the experts in the area that can help with uh, diagnosing things like that. Uh, if you're, if you don't have access to this, the resources we have here, that said, I think the, one of the, the big takeaways from the, the two days was prevention. Keep and, it clean. Yeah. Keep it clean. Most of these things can be prevented by a, a bunch of common sense um, things that you can do. And the, the, the kind of the main veterinarian who spoke to us said, well, you know, his job is going to these big poultry sheds. And he talked about how he has to put on this Tyvek outfit and take seven showers a day and all this kind of stuff in terms of biosecurity. But then he said, well, you're not, you know, you've got small flocks. You don't, you don't need to do that. It's not common sense to do that, right? You're not, it's not practical for a home flock. But then, he came up with a bunch of, of pretty simple suggestions, I think, that, that um, some of which we already do here, but then some of which I thought, well, we could, we could step up our game a little bit. Uh, for instance, one of the, things, the first things he mentioned was dedicated clothing. You know, in other words, having a pair of shoes that you use just to go into the chicken coop. Kind of right. like bathroom shoes in Japan. There's bathroom shoes in Japan. You didn't know about You're that? You're bringing it back to the toilet discussion. I didn't know <laughs> I that. <am. laughs> well, the bathroom is an unclean place. And I think not only in Japan, um, different Asian countries, there's you know flip-flops outside the bathroom. You, well, you're, you're not wearing shoes in the house to begin with usually, right? And then you, but to go into the bathroom, you put on the flip-flops to kind of transport you through that unclean space. And the flip-flops are sort of communal. They stay in there. Yeah, well, uh, basically, right. I mean, we had a pair of chicken coop flip-flops, which is pretty stupid. Well, we have a, well, there's a pair of flip-flops in the backyard that we both tend to wear. And they, but they could go, but they're not necessarily consigned to the chicken coop, right? They, they could go to the front yard. They can be used for different things. I think, I, I think it's brilliant. I don't know why we didn't think of it before, is to get a pair of those rubber garden shoes with, yeah, flip, open-toe shoes are kind of stupid yeah, in a chicken exactly. coop. You know, not even for biosecurity, just because, you know, no matter, you know, you go into the coop just to, to close a door or, or check the food or something, and you always end up with chicken poop on the shoes, the big wad of chicken poop, which then you're dragging around with you. It's just, why didn't we do this many years ago? So we're going to get some garden shoes, those kind of cloggy plastic garden shoes, and just leave them in front of the coop. 
Right. They'll and, just live there. And they don't go anywhere else. And hopefully black widow spiders will not make their homes in them. <laughs> because actually I thought of a... All this may sound a little paranoid, but, you know, chickens are not the most resilient creatures. And you do have to be careful about, for instance, mixing wild birds and chickens with each other. Because that's, that's one of the ways that, that the birds can get... Avian flu. Yeah, right? avian influenza, right? They get it from actually from ducks. I've never seen a duck land in our yard. A duck has but, no reason to land in our yard. Right. <laughs> There's nothing fun but, for a duck. But if you had a swimming pool uh-huh. or, or if a you had a water or feature or something and... like that, that would be something to think about. So that's one of the things they were talk- suggesting is keeping water features away from chickens. Yes, ducks are not as... They carry the flu, but they're not yes. wiped out by it the same way the chickens yes. are. Is that what you and said? And they get it, and they pass it on to the chickens mm. who don't do as Little well Typhoid Mary ducks. Yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, so, so that makes you, sense not to have, like, the water feature right next to the... Something, no duck attractants right next right. to the chicken coop. And chickens don't like water features anyways. They don't care about a pond. They're not going to go in the pond, right? <laughs> They would probably drown. <laughs> I mean, the the vet, he just, again, he kept saying, don't be, try to be perfect. So I, I imagine some people have ducks and chickens together and you're going to have to, Well, you know. it's the wild ducks that, I mean, do the domestic ducks Well, yeah, the problem well? is the wild ducks pass it on to the domestic ducks. Oh, so there's, ducks there's a fraternization right. between the wild ducks right. and exactly. the... Not a problem we have. We only have chickens, so. So they would want the chickens and the ducks kept separate? Ideally, yeah. Mm, that's going to be you hard. You start to get tricky, yeah. And there, you never should have turkeys and chickens together. There were, Why there not were turkeys? Multiple reasons for that, which hmm. is that, what is that black, uh, that, um, it's like a blackhead on... Oh, those? Yeah, right, yeah. I had to, oh, I'm still traumatized. I helped, you know, I helped with a turkey butchering for before Thanksgiving, and I was on the end stage of it, which I had thought would be the easier part, like plucking the pin feathers out and, and getting... I was thinking about these turkeys going to family tables, um, and so I was trying to do a really good job, and they had these blackheads on them and the skin, and I was squeezing them oh no that's oh, so gross please. oh that's so gross Stop and i that. still can't eat turkey because i think about that i All mean right. generally i don't eat a lot of meat but i just think about like i cannot extricate the thought of turkey with these so these these um, black heady things are, are just are, are passed between chicken chickens and poultry I, the chickens I need give to go them to through the i need i'm so overwhelmed by all the information i got i would have to go through my notes <laughs> to remember the that whole situation. It's like a Cronenbergian nightmare the, for me. Yeah, the, it's the, awful. The bottom line is chickens and turkeys. I came away with like that oh. shouldn't have those two together. No, again, not an issue for us. We're never going to have turkeys here. We don't have enough space for that. <laughs> that and, <would> be- <laughs> you know, we're basically mostly vegetarians anyway, so it's kind of like not a not a point to that. But uh, so the other things that we talked about are controlling rodents and flies, and you know rodents. We've not been real good about that. I mean, and we've got a mesh, quarter-inch mesh. The chickens, but that doesn't keep them out of the coop. No. Well, the, the mice can get into yeah, the, the mi- quarter-inch. Oh, and the I rat. Know, oh, You think please. a rat can get oh, through a quarter-inch? Yes, I yes thought, they can squeeze. You know now, that. Now, the Natural History Museum said a rat, an adult rat can go through a hole the size of a quarter. Yeah. Well, which is bigger than a quarter-inch. I think that they could get into the coop. It's very well, they hard. They can get into the run, for yeah, sure. And, but there's an easy solution here. So that you, you have to keep the food covered at night because they're mostly active at night 
And so the options are put the food away at night, take it out in the morning. The problem with that is the middle of summer, like it is now, you know, in order to get the food out in time for the chickens, when they wake up, you know, we're talking like five, five thirty in the morning. And that's a little bit of a pain. Uh, maybe I should get up at five thirty in the morning. I don't know. <laughs> Talk the doodle doo. I, I had thought of uh, some kind of fancy Arduino powered thing that locks the 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 feed up at night <laughs> uh, but instead can't you just buy a dedicated <laughs> well the the suggestion uh, at the uh, conference from one of the veterinarians was to get a treadle feeder which is this um it's like a skinner box actually the the chicken steps on the treadle and it opens the the food up one hitch with that is uh, uh one of the other people in the class told me that her, the squirrels in her yard figured out how to open the treadle feeder <laughs> Not surprisingly, although again with our setup, I think it might work because I've never seen a squirrel in the coop. No, never. Wow, there's a jet going over. The, probably a Silicon Valley executive or something. Yeah, we're not we're not on the general air path. Anyways, so. I don't usually know what that it's is. helicopters that we hear. Sounds like a military. Oh jet. no, it's a helicopter, honey. Oh. Look, it's well, it's know. flying towards the full moon. Or early oh, rising that, full moon. LA it's a very romantic. I, there's yes. a out in the the in the lavender sky. I see a palm tree, a helicopter, and a full moon. That is L.A. All right, back to those rodents, though. I, the the treadle feeder is something I'm looking into. I've, I've already done a blog post that'll be up later this week. I'm asking our readers for advice because there's many different treadle feeders on the market, and I want to see uh, which one was recommended. So I think that's the option I'll go with. I still think some kind of thing that automatically locks up at night might work too. Uh, but uh, the other, uh, t- the flies? other flies, flies. Yeah, but back to rodents again. Rodents oh. spreads uh, various not so good forms of salmonella. That was um, that was one of the issues there, and and other things. And they eat the the feed, and you know that that costs, costs you money. money. So hmm. so anyway, it's that that I think that. That will be solvable. And then, of course, they mentioned, which we already do, of keeping the feed uh, in a rodent-proof container, which which we do. Which is a garbage can. Yeah. Uh, Flies were mentioned. Now, we do the deep bedding method, where we have a lot of bedding material now. uh, Which keeps the flies down for us, but you discovered important information about about deep bedding. uh, Deep bedding. It's got to be dry. And in our climate, that's not so hard here. Not a problem at all. Keeping it dry, not hard at all. We should maybe stop for just a second and say what deep bedding is. Okay, so it's it's keeping carbon material like straw. uh, Or wood wood shavings, shavings, chaff. Some people use rice or coffee chaff, I think. Rice hulls. Rice hulls. That was one of the... Any kind of fluffy, organic material... Uh, Keeping absorbent. a thick layer of that, like what you would put in a horse right. stall, and then rather than cleaning it out, you throw more on periodically. And, and this is in the areas that the chickens are active in, because you know, the run, the run, because like so, like we do not use deep bedding underneath their roost. We have uh, what well, we have are wood shavings. We have in there wood shavings there, but we have to clean, we have to clean that area yeah. frequently, like a cat box kind of, because they don't work that area they don't hang out in their in their nesting area um, during the day or they, and they don't do anything in there at night except sleep so they're not working their poo into compost basically but out in the run all the food scrap scraps and that they don't eat and their waste and this dry material gets constantly 
uh, kind of massaged <laughs> into sort of a living compost. And um, that, that kind of creates an ecosystem that keeps flies down for many reasons. I think some of the you know, flies try to lay eggs in that, but there are other microorganisms in there that are eating the fly eggs. And so it, it just becomes a living system that's self-regulating. It's a really wonderful thing. And it's a, it's a nice surface for the ladies to be on. It looks a lot better than bare dirt. Uh, it smells fine. We, you know, we don't have any chicken smells. We have very few flies. It's good in many ways, but coming from a dry climate, we're not always as, as sensitive to rainy climate issues as we could be because we just don't have experience with that. Uh, so you found out about wet bedding. It, well, it's it just that the deep bedding needs to be dry. The, the vet described it as you need to be able to go out there, kick it, and it should fly around. In other words, it shouldn't be like big clumps of poo. It shouldn't be matting. Right. So I think two, two factors. One is this may not work in a wet climate. And then also... If you have too many birds in a small space, oh, and, and it gets mucky yeah, with their exactly, waste, that would be very right. Bad. So that, those are the two factors, I think. So it's got to be kept dry. Actually, the the big bad poultry shed people, the the big guys, use this method in actually. their huge yep. sheds. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so what you would, I guess, if you lived in a wet climate, you would need to have a roofed run, right. Uh, exactly. And then it would the bedding would stay dry enough there. Theoretically, uh, right. theoretically, if you, if you had open runs, then you can't do that. And again, this this gets might be sounding a little paranoid. It as the vet said doesn't need to be perfect, but you know the the more you can do along these lines, the fewer problems you'll have. So plenty of room for the chickens clean bedding it's all common kind sense of stuff yeah you know? common sense like any kind of animal care fresh air good husbandry bedding yeah good husbandry the, the word. yeah so good food along the lines of yeah. the the bedding is keeping things clean so the, the two things the poo and the dander uh can breed disease so if you keep the coop clean you kind of lessen because a lot of these diseases are endemic they're just there and they don't bother the chickens it's just if things get too dirty or too poopy too much dander, then you can kind of tip things into an unhealthy balance. Or if you have too many birds in a small space, that kind of thing. So common sense stuff. So keep it clean. One one other thing they mentioned was being careful about trips to the feed store. And this <laughs> uh, set off an alarm bell for me because I have a favorite kind of uh, feed, which is Modesto Milling. But unfortunately, the only store that carries it in our area is pretty skanky they have lots of unhealthy live birds in there i will not go into that store I yeah do not like it's that store. smelly and i always want to like buy all the birds just to <laughs> save them exactly so i but it's the only place i can get this it's really nice feed in that case you really need to then you do need to be a little paranoid you need to change your clothes take a shower make sure Lord you're knows not what's going yeah, on exactly in like don't Ugh. come home from that feed store and then walk into the coop with the same shoes on. That's not a good idea. Because, again, a lot of these diseases are very, very communicable. Uh, I mean, easily carried on shoes and then into the coop, and then you got a problem. And then that same thing would be true for visiting friends who yep. have birds. Visiting other coops, visiting a farm. 
anything where you're going petting zoo. yeah petting zoo with with birds you know that that you got to be careful about that stuff and change your clothes take a shower what if you're in the park feeding ducks yeah actually I yeah that, thought i that. thought about that too or taking a walk around the lake with the ducks i mean you don't want to carry the duck poo into the chicken coop well that's why you have your special shoes outside the or chicken if you're i mean some people free range the birds in the backyard which is fine but you'd also want to change the shoes before you go in your backyard if you've been out walking where the ducks are you know mm. so it's something it's something to think about mm. and again it's not it's not you're not needed to change in the tyvek suit you just need <laughs> to have that pair of rubber boots dedicated to walking around the backyard it's not a not a big deal Right. Yeah, it can be tricky. Like, you know, we, we have a friend whose flock got Merrick's disease. Right. Which was awful. And Merrick's is a terrible And disease. that was actually because of mixing uh, uh, different flocks together. She brought in some chicken. Which is something you got to... Uh, it's preferably you don't... From a not so good source, right? right. But preferably mm-hmm. if you can avoid mixing flocks of different ages together, it, if you can. If you can. Like you mean just bring them in as like one... Like class, sort of. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, we have classes, and yeah. those classes no, you graduate, you can't, quote unquote, and you, you have another always, class. You can't always do that. <laughs> yeah. Right? But no. so it, you can't always do that. So it doesn't always work out. Uh, on that topic was also inoculating for Merrick's disease. And Merrick's disease is actually the most common problem in backyard poultry, it's a virus. And it's like a nervous system. It attacks the nervous system. It does all it kinds does of nasty things. Lots of little tumors and, to the chickens. Right. It's bad. It was just a nightmare when she had that. And yep. yeah, actually, she had all kinds of symptoms, and that's that's the case too. It causes other things, and it it can be very confusing to, to see diagnose. this. Yeah, this, this diagnosed symptom until you do the necropsy, and then it. It's pretty obvious. But the but bad news is that it, it lingers on. It does linger on in the, the soil. soil. The good so news, even however, though all of those chickens are gone that had Merrick's, if we go to her house and we trot around in her right. backyard, we could be bringing Merrick's back to our house. Right. The good news is that you can inoculate birds from Merrick's. It and has, the bad news is the, it's hard to do it when they're old, right? You can't do it when they're old. You have to do it. It's done, it's done two ways. It's actually, if you get chickens from a national poultry, uh, what is it called? The NPIP, National Poultry Improvement Plan Certified Hatchery, which is <laughs> what their recommendation was, they will inoculate for Merrick's disease. It, they actually inoculate the little eggs. They inoculate in the egg, which, which is, is the best freaky. way to do it. Now, if you are breeding your own chickens, uh, you have to inoculate them on the first day when they're born. Now, the, there's some good news and bad news here. The bad news is that the vaccine is only available in a thousand bird quantities. <laughs> the good news is the thousand bird quantity is 20 bucks. <laughs> so what's the expiration uh there is an that? ex there is an expiration date oh, on it. so <laughs> right. they actually showed us how to do the inoculation is it wasn't that hard it was uh you you do it uh, subcutaneously is that did i say that right yes, kelly i think you did subcutaneous. Uh, at the base of the neck that well, was their recommendation. Like where you put flea drops on a cat? <laughs> yeah, but it's an injection with a, yeah. with a, with a needle. So you lift up the skin. Yes, and you, you lift up the skin. So you don't do it in the muscle, right? Yeah. Uh, you do it yeah. under the skin. And it was, they showed us how to do it. It was super, super simple. 
but you just have to like do all the math to figure out how to dilute yeah, one I don't know chick how, uh, yeah. dosage out of a thousand <laughs> a bottle. I don't know that how do that's done. I'd have to look yeah. that up, but it's doable yeah. and highly recommend it. So, and it, but if you're not breeding your own chickens, you should try to find chickens that are Merrick's disease inoculated. Because again, it was, I think it was, I, I don't, unfortunately I don't have the statistics in front of me. It was something like 27% of all the problems they deal with, something like that, or were Merrick's. It was overwhelmingly the, the, the worst uh, problem. Did they give you like a, like top, like the top problems? Yes, right. There was Merrick's it was and what, Merrick's, what else is, It was Merrick's remember? and then everything else, <laughs> <laughs> basically. <laughs> Basically, that's another blog post. I could put that up, those stats on it. But but Merrick's was the number one and the easiest to deal with. And that's and the, the rest of them were some of the stuff that I'm talking about will prevent it. Just keeping things clean and being careful about mixing flocks and changing your shoes, that kind of stuff. The other thing was... Uh, keeping wild birds away from your chickens. Now, you mean like like songbirds? Uh, well, anything any, you know, yeah. uh, any other any other wild bird. Now, if you're free ranging your birds, then obviously that's going to be harder to do. And then you know you're just taking a risk. I think ideally, I think chickens should be free ranging mm-hmm. uh, if you can. Um, most of us backyard folks, so that's that's harder to do. At least to do it all the time. Um, right. Depends they, on your circumstances. Depends on your circumstances. I'm pretty pleased. We have a large run, and it's pretty... I've, it's pretty deluxe for chickens, by chicken standards. Nice, and they have a lot of room, and uh, in our case, we can keep the wild birds out of their area. I could do a little bit... There's some There's some holes in the run that I need to repair just to, to sort of make that solid so that there isn't that that contact... Uh, but I, this, that's something I'm gonna I'm gonna look into as well. I mean, I'll say we used to we used to free, our we free we ranged our around. last yeah. our last flock of birds because we raised them from chicks and they would come to call, um, and, they, and they could be handled. I could pick them up. I could feed them out of my hands. All that kind of stuff. The new flock we got as um, as adults or nearly so and. They're skittish, and we've never been able to they're make great. friends with them. I really like they're them. They're very actually. healthy. They're, they're the best chickens we've ever very had. Very healthy, peaceable, yeah. quiet, well-behaved. Hence, they just don't like us. They're a little flighty. I yeah. call it, they don't. They won't let us near them. So, if we let them out of the coop and we need to put them back in, there's just no way we're going to ever get near them. We can't. The old ones, I would just, I would just say, I, I, I train them to come to call. I just stand in the coop door and go chick chick chick, and they would come running. These guys will not do that, and so it just wasn't safe or convenient to have them free ranging. So they. They chickens also destroy gardens. It should be noted. <laughs> yeah, too, but so. they are handy during the in between times. They are handy. In you know, times, I, yes. I really liked letting our our hens out, letting them uh, help help with the cleanup. Uh, but uh, and, it, and it was it was fun to have them loose in the garden and, and garden by their side, or to look out the back door and see them looking in the back door at us, going, "Can we come in?" But um, new the new birds are much more much more like livestock, and they live in their deluxe run. Yeah. And then a couple other things, separating sick birds, that, that's pretty obvious. That, that so as soon as a bird looks sick, 
it's, take it out of the coop, put it in a separate area. And not only for like biosecurity reasons, but because um, hens can be mean to sick comrades. That's true. So right. it's it's be- it's safer for that sick bird to be on her own, and um, they can go in dog crates. I think that's uh, dog crates are pretty good temporary coops, like especially a bigger dog crate, but it's even a smaller one. But you need to have that set up ahead of time so that when it happens, you can do it immediately, which we don't right now. We used to have a, we used to have a dog. What was that thing called? A, uh, it oh, was the for ex- the Doberman. Oh, the pen. The X-Pen, yes. That's another thing. That's a, You can either have like a dog uh, like a dog crate, like a shipping crate, or also uh, the X-Pen is like a, a kind of like a playpen for dogs. Uh, and we, we Those could, work real nice. Those and work we well, too. Don't have, we gave it away, I think, after the dog died. Yeah. So hmm. we, maybe we should consider getting another one of those for that moment when you got to do that. And and then the other the other suggestion, which is a common suggestion, was to quarantine new birds for I think the suggestion was thirty days, uh, just to make sure they're healthy before you mix them with a with an older flock. I bet that doesn't happen very often. Well, yeah, that's really it, hard. I think some in a small yard to well, do. You know, again, it's it's mm. a probably common sense thing to do. Mm. Um, and you then, do have to be careful anyway. Like if you were bringing in young birds, they can get really beat up by older hens, you know, in, in the attempt to integrate them. That's a whole nother topic, but you know, it takes time to integrate birds. And then cleaning coop periodically. There was some talk about that actually of using bleach solutions to did clean stuff. Did they recommend bleach? Yeah, they did. You have to, but it's tricky. You have to get the... You have to dry brush stuff off first because um, organic material will will render bleach inactive. So you have to kind of scrub stuff, dry scrub stuff first, then apply. Watch with uh, bleach But it gets tricky. This is another thing we need to do some more research on because there's actually a contact time with the bleach, and it's it's a while. So oftentimes, like when this is done in medical facilities and stuff, I think they have stuff that helps the bleach hold, you know, basically stay on the surface being um, Mm. uh, clean for a while so that it has that contact time. Mm -hmm. So that's something you have to think about. Uh, The other suggestion was, and this is a good one, of having interior surfaces in your coop painted or metal so they're easier to clean. Mm -hmm. Ours are raw wood, which is not... I mean, some, of the, some of it's metal. Some of it's metal, actually. That's true. Some yeah. of the walls are metal. Yeah. But uh, some of the other surfaces could probably have been painted. That would have been better originally. Well, I've always cleaned our coop with vinegar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't... I mean... I'm no big fan of the bleach. Yeah, I know. I'm not a big fan of bleach either. I, I, Can I would, you use your, your um, brewing sanitation I, I need to look stuff? into that, too. The iodine-based yeah. uh, sanitizers that, that are less toxic. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. That, yeah. i got to look into that. And then lastly, this was one tip that also I hadn't thought of, which is not sharing garden tools or poultry equipment with other people who have poultry. So don't lend your shovel to another person who has a chicken coop. That made some sense to me. I mean, I, again, I know this stuff sounds paranoid, but it's sort of like, why take the chance, right? It's it's easy enough to do these things. It's not onerous. And 
you end up with a healthier flock. Now, I also like what the veterinarian said is there are some circumstances like, say, a 4-H club where you want to teach children how to handle chickens, where you're going to move chickens around, you're going to break some of these rules. And he was like, that's fine, you know, because there is a benefit to teaching people how to work with chickens. And so you're going to just, you're going to you have to take some risks sometimes. Sometimes people take chickens to poultry shows and things like that. And that's, you know, that's another time when you're going to have to make this kind of call as if it's worth it or not. And, you know, decide for yourself. I know that we get requests to bring our chickens to events and things like that. You know, when we were doing our book tour and things like that. And we decided that wasn't right because... Well, first of all, it would terrify them. Yeah, they wouldn't be happy. And Our first flock, some of them might have been okay with that, but this new flock would not like to be on display. Yeah, they'd be nervous. And they wouldn't and let you pet them, chickens don't pick like them to up travel or anything. Yeah, so chickens are anyways, not so, yeah. At least most of them. Some do, probably. I mean, there's people, of course, who are very close to their chickens and take them places, and they ride yeah, on their shoulder. Yeah, you could train them to do that. You know, so right. of course. That's fine. Yeah. But in the, our, our case, it just, I, I didn't feel good about it. I like that. So we have a deal with the chickens. They give us eggs. And we keep them safe and comfortable and clean. I think that's a good deal. <laughs> and I don't move them around for the sake of our book career. I think that's fair. Again, I think if we were in charge of a group of 4-H kids, that would be different. Then that mm-hmm. would be a time when, yeah, they should, we should take the chickens and, you know, um, they should get around, right? So, yeah. Yeah. Anything else? I mean, I'm full of poultry stuff. I'm going to go through my notes some more and pull out some of the other stuff that I learned at the conference. And uh, hopefully I'll know when this conference is happening again and I can tip off the folks in California who might be interested in taking it. I know they were interested in anyone with small flocks, but also people who run feed stores and things like that. So... Um, I'll let people know if I hear about uh, when they're doing it again. Oh, uh, I think the... There's Armageddon is yes, happening outside uh, as usual. Helicopters, the, uh, as we call them, the... Uh, the you can, uh, can't use that word. No, but it's our... The bird of Los Angeles yes, the is the helicopter. Of, uh, right before that, I don't know if the mics picked it up, there was quite a bit of siren action. Yes, so there's something exactly. exciting going on life in our in neighborhood. The city. I love life in the city. <laughs> <laughs> so many things going on here. Love it here. It sounds that's like a, mash all the time. <laughs> that is a topic for another. That's another topic. Is why why LA? Yeah, why LA? I go up here. I love I love it here. Oy. I love the culture. I love the people. I love the food. I love everything here. It's a great place. It's hot. All kinds of exciting things going on. And there's poultry. And when you want it, there's poultry conferences. So. There you go. There's no poultry conferences anywhere else. That's true. There's no poultry conferences anywhere else. In any cooler, nicer places. Exactly. (laughs) No, no. (laughs) But no, it's true. You've got this, you do have this like, this city thing and you can go see the opera, but then there's also, you know, there's horses and chickens and stuff like that. I kind of like that, that mountains and oceans and all kinds of nice things. So I'm a booster. (laughs) Boost on, baby. I think we should, on. uh, on that note. (laughs) <laughs> we should close. All right. Let us close. Okay. To leave a question for the Root Simple Podcast, like Eric of Garden Fork TV. Oh, or Thank or you, a Eric. Comment. Or a comment. Yes, you can leave a comment too. But uh, I like the phone calls. You know, Eric, Eric, I think he was trying to get the ball rolling no, for us No, but I mean, again. but Eric wasn't asking a question. He was leaving a comment. He was leaving a comment. That's right. You know, we, you we'll sharing take, wisdom. Right. If you guys yes, have exactly. wisdom to share, 
we would be happy to hear it. And the number to do that is our Google Voice number, which is 213-537-2591. That's 213-537-2591. Suit, suit, suits. Suits. Hollywood Suit Outlet. <laughs> or send us an email at rootsimple at gmail.com. We are Root Simple on Twitter. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment for us in the iTunes store. We're also on Stitcher. And you can support the Root Simple podcast by buying a copy of one of our books through the Amazon links on our website. Our theme music is by Dr. Frankenstein. Thank you for listening. (laughs) 